0: Game, it's hey everyone, welcome back to Honesty Hour. This is our seventh podcast. I am one of your hosts, Ragnar Kuthur, and I'm joined by Ethan Wong, my co-host. Hey
1: everyone, it's uh, good to be back.
0: How are you doing today? Uh, I know our semester ended early due to COVID, so we're kind of on break, and I'm sure you're kind of taking advantage of that with re- using it to your advantage and relaxing. Um, you're also in Taiwan right now, so how's the atmosphere there right now, and what have you been up to?
1: Yeah, um, I guess this whole semester has been a bit of a struggle, a bit of a challenge, but uh, just because of time zone differences. Yeah. Uh, and because we're obviously away from campus, but I'm really grateful for all my friends and family in Taiwan, as well as all the support I got from professors and friends from USC. Um, Taiwan is also a really nice place to live during these times just because we've been able to monitor and regulate ourselves to prevent the spread of coronavirus. So overall, I'd say it's been a pretty uh, positive experience.
0: Yeah, I feel like, honestly, a lot of places are handling the pandemic a lot better than um, the United States and specifically like California, Los Angeles area. So yeah, that's I'm glad to hear that you're staying safe and healthy. Um, Any type of like... Coping mechanisms or anything you're trying to like help with your sleeping issues and dealing with the time zone difference?
1: Yeah, um, I've just been trying to maintain like a, a hobby of like journaling, Yeah. Uh, like taking some time to just write at the end of the day to just reflect and like kind of let out whatever has been like keep bothering me throughout the day. Um, yeah, how about you? How are you doing?
0: Um, I'm doing pretty well. I think I really needed this break and I just needed to go home. Um Yeah, it just kind of being cramped up in one place, just in my apartment, it's been just, it's a lot to handle. So kind of being able to come home, obviously have my mom's like home cooked Indian meals. It's been really nice and comforting. So um, that's been great. Um, But now we can kind of get into the meat of the podcast, but just right before we continue, I wanted to remind everyone to bear with us with the quality of the audio. as I said, as we've said before, we're using Zoom during the pandemic just to make it easier for our guests and to stay safe and healthy. And then as usual, please follow our social media as well as our um, website, our social media um, Instagram account is USC Honesty Hour Podcast underscore. And then the website is uschonestyhour.wixsite.com slash my site. So um, now moving on to our guest today. So today we're really excited to introduce Winter Vallant. He's a student at USC who is an entrepreneur that owns a college merchandise, merchandise business. He's super passionate about mental health and even has connected his business to donating to mental health organizations. So through this talk today, we look to explore his background, values, business acumen, to understand his path, as well as his mental health journey. Please welcome Winter Vallant. Hey
2: Winter, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty well, hanging in there, especially with COVID happening around us. Just been getting through the days as they come. Pretty excited for the holidays. I, don't, I know this is going to be running after it, but at the time of recording, we're currently in the holidays. So I'm looking forward to that and looking forward to the new year, especially with the end of 2020 in sight.
1: Yeah, that sounds really good. Um, have you been uh, practicing any kinds of coping mechanisms or like doing anything new to get through these kinds of times?
2: Uh, I've definitely been doing a lot of self-development and a lot of self-reflection during this time. I think that's probably what a lot of people have been doing. Uh, But just with the ample amount of time, I've been putting a lot of effort into that, as well as just some personal passion projects.
0: Yeah, I can totally relate to wanting 2020 to be over, especially just with everything going on. Um, What kind of projects are you getting into to keep yourself busy?
2: I've just been doing a lot of graphic design yeah. uh, a lot of work on my personal like battle jackets especially with the punk and metal scene, which we'll get into a little bit i've been doing a lot of work on those as those are really just pretty laborious but
0: yeah well cool well we're so fortunate to have you here today um we can kind of like dive into the podcast and s- kind of learn more about you and what you're doing um currently and what you have done in the past for your company um, so, kind of starting off in our conversation that we had before the podcast, um, we discussed a little bit about your experience as a transfer student. Um, I'm also a transfer student, as I mentioned myself, and it's it was really difficult for myself going through that process. Not even the process of transfer. I mean, I think yeah, the process of transferring, but also the process of applying and getting there that was like a huge thing as well. Um, do you want to like talk about your experience?
2: Sure. So my experience, really, the transferring part of the actual applying was probably the easiest part for me it was pretty simple where i was originally at santa Clara university and yeah. it just was not a great fit for me just it did not even have my major i wanted to pursue so that was the first red flag i saw there and then it was over time it just became pretty apparent to me that i could not stay at that university so for me it was just applying to usc on the basis that Every band went through Los Angeles and they had a great biomedical program. That was enough for me just to apply there. And it was really the only school I applied to not even knowing anything about it beyond that. So I was incredibly uh, grateful to actually get into USC, just having that little knowledge about the university. But really, the part that really struck me the most was the actual transfer process where there really isn't an integrated support system like freshmen get. And while I did manage to find my own path throughout that, it really did leave a lasting impact on how I view the university and how my experience at the university was.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I definitely can relate to that too. Um, especially one thing I will say is I think I got really lucky because I do have a lot of transfer friends. And the reason that happened was I went through like the whole process of specifically finding roommates that were transfers at the same time as me. But, um, yeah, just like I wish that there was also beyond that, beyond my own my own taking action, that the school was maybe more involved, was creating more events to help transfers kind of integrate into USC. Because it is a big step to like go into a school and not start fr- from the get-go, you know?
2: Yeah, it's a huge step. And they don't really have anything that's geared like freshmen do. There's nothing geared towards transfers like that because – I think a lot of freshmen take it for granted that the opportunities and the events they have to meet other peers, because when you're a transfer and you're just thrown into it, they expect you to already have a reign of the ropes. And if you don't, it's a pretty big learning curve to get that under your belt. Yeah. Definitely.
1: Um. Yeah. Can you like talk about that a little bit more? Like what exactly your experience was like? Cause yeah, I was a fall I admit and um, it felt like when I first came to USC, it was a, uh, like every other person I met um was like a transfer student almost mm-hmm. um and like it seems really after like talking to a lot of people it seems like a lot of them were like really uh not uh I guess the word isn't regretful but just like it was kind of like a bummer that like a lot of them didn't get to experience the same things we did
2: yeah and I definitely have a lot of that same view towards it where I don't regret transferring at all but it definitely wasn't the most efficient way of transferring over where you aren't given a lot of these opportunities to meet other peers and you're not really given any notebook of here's a bunch of other uh, transfer students that you can connect with. You really have to go through these clubs, uh, the transfer student network club. And if you miss the first few weeks of university where you're still getting acquainted to it, you miss out on the clubs. And after I think week three, everything shuts down again. So if you miss that opportunity, you are just up shifts Creek because there really is no ability to gain access to those clubs or gain access to these communities because they shut off so quickly. Yeah. So that's a big thing that I really regret not taking advantage of early on. But that's also something that wasn't really serviced to me early on or even explained well enough when you get in as a transfer. It's just you're just giving the gates to the – university but they don't really teach you how to do anything beyond that and that also filters in with recruiting as well especially with the recruiting season uh, fall 2020 just ending that was something that was incredibly frustrating because of covid but also but uh i quickly learned that the roles and professions i wanted to get into you need to be recruiting a year before that yeah. so as a senior that wanted to go into consulting i quickly learned that you needed to be doing this as a junior. So that was also something that was a big wake up call to me, but that was something that was never explained. And I think a lot of freshmen were told stuff like this in terms of how to really prepare for recruiting, how to prepare to have that first dorm experience because transfers don't really get that first dorm experience that everybody talks about, whether it be the floor flooding or whether it be all of the residential halls that just go crazy. We really just get funneled into our apartment scene. Mm -hmm. where we develop a close knit of friends whether it be within our roommates or within other transfers uh but beyond that it's pretty hard to really break out of that scene yeah unless you take the actions to do so
0: yeah um it sounds like you have a similar experience to me where you kind of had expectations and you the usc didn't live up to those expectations Mm -hmm. (laughs) but like i guess then for me, I would say like before I came to USC, I obviously was like not in a good place. I wanted to leave. Like you said, you wanted to leave. Um, you said it was Santa Clara. Is that what you mm-hmm. said? Yeah. Santa Clara okay. University. So I wanted to leave. And I was just at the time before I came to USA, I was just very unhappy. And then when I came to USC, I felt like there was when I got there, there was some sort of relief. Um, and over time, I feel like I de- definitely developed my community. But obviously there was that, that downward, um, just that slope where I felt like it wasn't living up to my expectations. Maybe you can like walk me through exactly your, how you felt before USC, how you felt, how you feel right now, and then what you expect to feel maybe when you leave.
2: Yeah. So before USC, it was very uh, depressed where it was in a very survival mentality of Never leaving my dorm because I was always focusing on the next academic assignment so I could get out of Santa Clara University because it was very much so in a mentality of getting the best grades possible at any cost to be able to get out of there. And that was very uh, survival-like where I don't have any connections lasting from Santa Clara and I don't have any memories, but it's also, it also was such a bad environment for me mentally that I needed to get out of there. So I was willing to take that sacrifice at the time. Mm -hmm. And it did have repercussions beyond that where I don't have any connections there, but it's also I was able to get to USC beyond that. And there was a bit of relief, as you mentioned, getting to USC, but not really having expectations for USC because I didn't know much about the university going in. Mm -hmm. I think that was something that was a bit of a barrier, but it was also my first few years at USC, which I'll get into a bit later was very detrimental to my mental health because it was such a culture shock that i couldn't have expected beyond of course you know it being university school children which is something that i've definitely heavily played into with my company but it's also there's a lot which you couldn't have expected because it is a completely different world and it is a completely unique culture shock that a lot of students don't expect going into usc and Really, as I leave USC now, I feel like there was a bit of a regret for not truly taking advantage of what USC had to offer. But in the same vein of it, I think I did the best I could have done with what I was given. Yeah. So there's definitely, I could have, should have, would have, but at the end of the day, I made the most of it.
0: Yeah. And that's, that's really important.
1: Yeah. Um, can you like talk about that a little bit more like um your experiences before and after u s c and then maybe a little bit more about like how your perspectives have changed since then um maybe what you have would have done differently like you said before
2: sure would would have done differently i would I would have really set up a support scene and really been more outgoing and more uh, and less introspective because a big thing at the time when I came into USC was I was struggling significantly with uh, my mental health in terms of social anxiety and depression and that really kept me isolated to the point where i would barely even talk during classes wouldn't engage with anybody just because i wasn't sure who was friend or foe because it was in that very uh spoiled mentality that usc had was i felt like i was always being judged for just existing so that, that was something that really struck a chord in me that i wasn't sure who was actually okay or who was just trying to flex so that was a pretty uh, deterministic factor within my first few years at usc though really over time it dawned on me that that's just a small minority of people uh, compared to the larger majority but it does provide kind of that outward view of what usc true what usc portrays itself as which is this university where the elites go to and everybody's rich and everybody drives Porsches and BMWs and that really got to my head and really made me feel insignificant when I got to USC and really going through my time at USC and really breaking out of my shell to somebody that's a lot more extroverted and and a lot more willing to just get out there and get what I need to get done it's provided me a lot more of an outlook that USC is what you want it to be where you can go through your four years at USC not even saying anything and that's fine but you're not going to have the network you need to survive beyond USC. You're not going to have the opportunities you have given. Uh, the other thing I would really recommend is figuring out what you want to do early on and taking the steps you need to get to there. Because university is very structured where I think after year two, it locks you into what you want to do as a major. So that was something that is pretty crucial, especially as a transfer you need to figure out immediately. Mm-hmm. Otherwise you do get funneled into a major that, you're a bit less happy with than something you'd want to be in, especially with me being in industrial systems engineering currently, rather than something like business administration. And that's something where I didn't learn quickly enough how to game the system to get that easy transfer into Marshall. Yeah. uh, As I stuck with biomedical engineering for a few years, and that really impacted the GPA and the ability to make the internal transfers that a lot of other students uh, would have known to do.
0: Yeah, I feel like um, you mentioned this uh, idea of culture shock, and that was mm-hmm. like a big thing for me. I think it's I think our experiences are really different for why it was a culture shock for me when I came to USC. I came from a really really small school, um, so it was just like very used to having that attention from professors and being um, just uh, just being close with professors, especially my professors that were science professors. That was like a big thing for myself because. reason i didn't realize that i was not that great at the sciences was because i had so much attention from professors to help me so much so then Mm -hmm. when i came to usc it was like a big shock where i was in these huge lectures for organic chemistry and no one was like helping me and like people also like the culture shock for me too was this competitive nature that was within these classes where people didn't even want to like help each other like it was just Um, it felt like asking for help was a wrong thing and you couldn't Mm -hmm. do that. And it was a big culture shock for myself. So I know we talked about this in our previous conversation before the podcast about your background before college and before USC, maybe you could Mm -hmm. talk about that and maybe that how that contributed to you having that culture shock when you encountered students at USC.
2: Sure. So a big thing about me, um, is that I'm very unique looking and that's a big thing which is always attributed to this I've got incredibly like white white hair and just very fair skin which is something that's very unique and a lot of people haven't seen somebody like me yeah. before so that's was a big thing that really played into this where I always felt like people were staring at me and judging me
0: yeah just
2: because I stood out and that was something that really fed into This culture shock where I always felt like the center of attention, not egotistically, but just by environment, uh, by the environment, just because I stood out. So that was something that really played into it. And even before USC, that was something that was widely known in my high school, too, where I went to a pretty big high school of 5,000 students, and that's massive. I now know compared to other people's high schools. So I was kind of used to that size, but it was just always standing out there without even saying words there i would always be known there even today people know my name just because i was unique and that's something that really has impacted me and my identity and portrayal of myself is this embracement of my uniqueness and it took me a while to get to that point really before university it was this kind of loathing of that uniqueness and Really combining that with mental struggles as well as my situations I was in before USC, which was a lot of dealing with being homeless at times. That was a big component that really played into my mental health state at that point in time, as well as personal development as it was around the time where I was still developing. So those were two big things that really impacted my development prior to to university.
1: How did you go through that journey of like kind of finding that self acceptance and like um, just being more loving of yourself and your own identity, whether it be like physical appearance?
2: Mm-hmm. So it really happened in my third year at USC, where in the first two years at USC were really some of the lowest points in my life. Uh, and just this omnipresent flexing really had a huge impact on it too. And it really caused me to grow numb to who I was at the point in time because I was having panic attacks almost every day on the way to classes. And I almost actually dropped out after my first semester at USC where I just stopped going to classes because I couldn't take it anymore. Uh, But what really happened in my third year was my first year is when I started Spoiled Threads. And that was something that really got me out of that mentality where it pushed me to really, focus on more than something in myself because that was aligning myself with a mission that I deserve to be here just as much as anybody else did. And really through that vessel and just putting on that scene really helped me get to a stage of self-acceptance where in my junior year, I really just decided to stop giving a fuck about what others thought about me and really embracing this identity. And what really did that was Embracing my uniqueness and not seeing it so much as a weakness, but seeing it as a strength that I, it wasn't a weakness because it was always the center of attention. It was a strength because people would always remember what I did during that action. So it pivoted to really turn it towards how can I make this experience for everybody I meet something unique where they remember the good that I did there? Because there could be hundreds of people that met that person prior, but I'm going to be the one that stands out because. I have just this inherent uniqueness that will service to them first. Even the biggest thing that really comes in and embodies in is my name. And that's something that I always talk about who's ever struggling with their self-worth is to find something that you love unconditionally about yourself and link it to yourself in terms of it could be something that's mentally, it could be something that's physical, or it could be just anything, but as long as you can link it to yourself. And have it be a lifeline of reassurance at any point in time to be that adrenaline rush. That is something which I link to my name because it's something that's so powerful to me and so powerful to others as well. Because really, having this lifeline was something that allowed me to keep going. Because without this lifeline, I don't think I would have gotten this far. Because it is something that's incredibly impactful to me and incredibly. Uh, impactful to the struggles and journeys that have gone on. So really having this aspect that I could rely on was some, something that kept me propagating and kept me moving. And that was also something that really got me to break out of my shell and really love myself more was having this thing that I could love undeniably about myself.
0: Yeah. And I think, yeah, speaking on your background and, utilizing like your uniqueness to your power too, I think, especially in the context of this podcast too, what you're doing, especially sharing your experience, sharing what you're doing. Um, it can go a long way for a lot of people to hear um, that other people ha- are, are have gone and have overcome different circumstances or similar circumstances to what they're going through. And I think I, I want to continue to touch on your background a little bit more before we move into talking about um, your business. But um, mm-hmm. one thing, too, as you mentioned, that a big part of uh, when you were growing up, you did. Um, struggle with housing insecurities. Um, You had, Mm -hmm. you said you were moving from house to house and at times you actually were homeless too. Mm -hmm. Um, And within my research before um, this podcast, I found that um, according to like the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, 20 to 25% of the homeless population in the United States suffers from some form of severe mental illness. Um, And just also just touching on like, as we know that um, mental health is a big problem within the homeless community. Um, During your time, when you were going through this experience, were you able to kind of see why these statistics were accurate? Like why people were, and yourself, um, struggling with mental health problems while having housing insecurity?
2: Yeah, and it's incredibly disheartening just hearing that statistic as well, because it does really, Makes sense in terms of providing that link between how impactful mental health has within all your areas of life, even of course being homeless. Because for me, really going through that whole cycle, it really showed me that you can't take the support system for granted because you never are aware. And I think it's always a thought in all of our, in the back of all of our heads, is what would happen if you lost everything. But that's exactly what you go through the second you're homeless because in that moment you have to figure out which home can I sleep at tonight? Who can I contact that will have my back? Where is somewhere safe that I can stay even for a night or a few nights? Because that's something that a lot of people don't have is a lot of people don't have those top five contacts beyond their family that they could go to on a moment's notice. And that's something where not having that network will only further propagate this issue in terms of, if you're not giving somebody a chance to get better, they're just going to be pushed to the sides and pushed out of view of society because society labels everybody like that as an outcast. And they just like to push them to the side. So they're out of the perfect view of Los Angeles and Santa Monica. And nobody wants to see that, but it's at this point, it's become incredibly rampant where it's undeniable that homelessness is a huge issue and that mental health is only overlaid on top of it where People in that state are very survival mode where they are just trying to find out where is the next place I can sleep? How do I get food for the next day? And really understanding that it's more of an issue than, and it's more of an issue than just their current them being there. But it goes beyond that where they don't have the ability to really plan ahead the next few days because it's all in a survival mode where you can't focus on getting better in the now if you're not even protected in the now Mm -hmm. because unless you have that next step you can't really jump between steps as you've got a set of priorities that you need to follow through on which is finding shelter finding food and if you can't do that there's no way you can better your mental health and your mental state because there's just no time to do so and it's such an impactful thing that just cascades down and it. Where it just if you fall within that cycle and if you get stuck down there too long it's a it's pretty difficult to get out of that cycle just that statistic again going back to that it's incredibly disheartening because yeah. it really just shows how overlooked mental health is in our society
0: yeah. yeah and it's like right now especially i think we're at the beginning of where people are kind of under they're seeing that connection between homelessness and mental health but there's such a long way to go
1: I was um part of this community engagement class uh, last semester, and like we specifically talked about like the issue of homelessness in l a. Um, and um, yeah, it's like exactly what you said, right? Like um, in regards to mental health, like people who are dealing with mental health issues who become homeless, it's like a never ending cycle where like you uh, are dealing with these severe mental health issues, but then you're homeless. And because of that, it kind of exacerbates the issue makes it even worse because you're constantly like anxious about the future, like where you're going to live next, where you're going to get your next meal. And in mm-hmm. some cases, um, some of the people that we talk to uh, in this class, like they don't have those kinds of support networks to begin with. Like maybe their family members have passed away or their family members just have stopped supporting them. So mm-hmm. mm, I think like a lot of people kind of also like don't realize how unfortunate and how like, difficult these kinds of situations can be especially because we've never experienced like what it's like to actually lose such an important necessity like shelter um, Mm -hmm. and only realize how hard it is once you've actually experienced it especially too
0: oh, oh so i was just gonna say especially too one thing um that i learned in one of my classes at usc it was a general education class is that as people kind of Since people have not experienced this and it's not affecting them directly they see that statistic as only a number they don't see it as people so that's why it's this is such an ongoing issue is because it's not humanized enough and that is a huge thing as well and kind of going off of that um as you said like and you and ethan both touched on it how it is hard to be able to help yourself in terms of your mental health when you are homeless because you're just trying it's a survival mode Was there any type of help that you wish you had, whether that be, could be from family, friends, the government, um, any type of institution? Was there any help that you wish you had? Um, And maybe you can also kind of discuss who you actually reached out to for that help.
2: Mm -hmm. I never really went the institutional route as it was something that I largely felt I could handle on my own. Just... A big difference, I think, is that when we look at the homelessness issue, a lot of us default to, oh, they're adults. And that's uh, if that's the default, we're just overlooking the teenage aspect of it. Mm. Or Even in my own experiences, the teenage aspect is something where we feel like we can take on the world and handle it on our own. And especially in my case scenario, that's something where you need to have that built up support network early on because it does really define how you view the world later on. For me, I always view instances with people of how can I provide them value in, in this moment so that not only will it be remembered, but also focusing on building up this cohort of like very few close people that I know I can rely on rather than hundreds of people that barely even know my face. And that's something we're really focusing on. That network is something that, was instilled in me back at that time because that's really a key for survival, but also just a key uh, for just interacting with people in general. But who I really relied on during that time was the punk scene, where I would go to shows almost regularly and just stay at the warehouse that we would host the shows at because that was always a way that I knew I could be guaranteed shelter that night, but also I could also tag along with some punks back to their place in terms of just having a place to stay. That wasn't the same old warehouse. And that was also something that was uh pretty much a lifeline during that point in time because it was always a constant stream of people and a constant community there, especially uh for me uh the punk and metal scene run through my veins because that is one of the biggest instances of just a family that has never met each other before but will always pick you back up, whether it be in the pit or whether it be in life, they just have your back. So that's always something that I'm incredibly thankful for because they got me through that rough point in time by just couch surfing uh, throughout that. Even much later on to my second year at USC um, first semester, I was homeless again. So what I did in that case scenario was I had a support network at the time where I was able to call up my old roommate and I was able to actually live on their couch for the semester. So that was something that was very apparent to how these things go, where you need to have that network so that you've got a car to sleep on at the very minimum, because that is going to be the defining trait of really getting through these periods of time. Because as long as you have your basic necessities of a place to stay, that allows you to go so much further to be able to provide, how can I get this next step? Whether it be learning how to network with people to get a certain instance, in this case, it was finding the next place to sleep or it being how do I progress to the next stage where it being how do I work to get some pay to get some food and that was just helping out with audio and lighting at these punk venues and the punk shows so that was a big thing that really filtered into that as well and that was the community I really heavily relied on during that time.
1: Um, Could you like talk a little bit more about like how you became involved in the punk scene and also like what your experiences were like overall and just yeah, like because I feel like it's such a um niche scene that like not mm-hmm. a people a lot of people would experience. Mm-hmm. Um so could you like tell us a little bit more about that?
2: Sure. So for me I've always uh never really followed the typical path, whether it be within fashion, whether it be within music, I've always been had an immense attraction towards kind of the darker scene of uh culture and that was always for me within this heavier metal and heavier punk scene something that was a lot more raw and a lot more against authority so that was always a huge draw since the start and I think that was largely just embedded in me just as a big thing that really draws me in further into the scene is the rawness but also the emotion they have but behind the lyrics and a lot of it especially within within the metal scene is hard to understand at first but the lyrics are incredibly deep and that's something where as something that's very emotional and an empath that something that drew me in pretty significantly during that time and really getting involved within the punk scene uh just happened out of chance actually where i would just keep going to these shows and keep seeing the same people and at these big shows. A lot of them was initially Rise Against. That was always a band. I would always jump through so many hoops to see. And just seeing these same people at these shows really drew me into this scene more. And that got me into the local scene of the punk scene, which was this tight-knit community that was always rotating in and out as bands came through. But it was also made up of locals within Colorado. And that was something that was such a big thing to get me within the scene as there was this kind of family aspect that I hadn't experienced in full like that, where they would have you back and you would have theirs. And that's something that really got me into that scene, but also kept me in that scene because it's all about supporting the scene. And I know I've said scene a few times, but it truly revolves around the preservation of it and really the bettering of those around you. So that was something that really not only got me into it but kept me in it yeah
0: it's very interesting to to hear about all these different experiences and different parts of your background um i guess like going now like from there to transferring to usc um Mm -hmm. i know that you said like in your first semester it was really difficult for you you were even thinking of dropping out but um as we can see, you are at USC right now, and you said you found like you found your group of people. So, how are you able to kind of navigate USC and find your people, um, especially coming from a background where you said you were in this niche scene, um, and also coming from a background that's drastically different from um, what people at USC are like and what they're interested in? I mean, I feel like USC does follow this mold of following like the status quo, you know. Not really stepping out of the bounds, kind of following and stepping and just stepping, just following each other's steps. So how did you find your people?
2: For me, it was really just being myself and really make that transition, as you mentioned, is I've always had an internal drive in me where it's just I know what I want and I'll do anything I need to do to get it. And that was something that really defined my pathway from being just a local punk uh, to getting here. And a lot of it really relied on what I wanted, where I always knew I wanted to make a, a difference on a grand scale. And to get there, I realized pretty early on that I had to stay straight edge and not do all the drugs and alcohol that was around me within these houses because I knew that that would be a pathway down.
0: Mm-hmm. And
2: to just refrain from all of that during that was a big a step in the right direction, but really keeping this internal drive to keep moving forward. Uh, at any cost, and to keep striving no matter what. That was something that I've always instilled on me incredibly hard, where I'm at times my own worst enemy, where I'll always force myself to do better. So, really, that internalized motivation pushed me incredibly far, even to go from just the local punk to USC, but even beyond my, my time at USC, it was just always focusing on being myself especially with the advent of scroll threads. That was something where, that really did help me find my people because through that vessel, I was able to find that I wasn't alone in my own struggle and that there was so many other people that didn't feel like they fit USC status quo because personally, I looked God off on red and gold and I hate red and gold. I, you will never find me in a piece of red and gold ever. Uh, so that was just something where... I wasn't going to stand for this conformity. And that's also something that USC pushes incredibly hard. And that's something I always push back USC against is that they push a brand and that they will always market a brand, especially as we've seen with mental health and the students mental health is that they push a brand image and they sell you that. A lot of people aren't willing to deviate from that brand image because they feel it's going against USC, but. Really, that's the reality of it, where they sell a brand image and they force you to conform to their accepted image in every way they can. And a big thing that a lot of people don't realize that's a vessel for this is uh, apparel and the student apparel that they have, because it's always the cookie cutter, same mold of the same USC logo on just red and gold. It's always in those same formats where so many people just take it at face value but they don't question the why behind it and really that questioning of the why behind it and spray painting a denim jacket of university spoiled children which was where the thread started out of and just showing that hey i'm so damn proud to be here that i'm gonna wear it on my back but i'm gonna do it my way where i deserve to be here at the university spoiled children because I worked my ass off to get here and I'm not going to let anybody tell me that I don't deserve to be here just because of how I look and really by making that first initial step and not giving a fuck about what university said, what anybody said to me and just wearing it with pride was something that a lot of, that drew a lot of people into not only spoiled threads, but also just showing me that I wasn't alone in this matter. And that's really what built up this community of people that showed me I wasn't alone because. It served as a magnet to get people that were like me and that yeah. felt like me, but didn't feel like there was anybody else like them out there. And especially throughout the journey of Soul Threads, we've seen it um, immensely within our customer bases as well.
0: Yeah. I think also um, with that journey of, you were saying like being yourself, you just kind of decided like the best way to go about this is just be yourself and kind of, just be who you are to find your people. Um, for me, I will say. No, I know I was, it's
2: cliche, but it's the truth.
0: No, no. And I I completely agree with you. Um, for me, when I was um, in my first year of college, and I mean, I guess like even in high school, like I always felt like I was, I've was. i always just suffered with severe anxiety and just being very anxious. And one of the things that goes with that anxiety is like being anxious to be yourself around people and kind of just always holding back and it with that holding back, I always felt like there was this like weight on my chest constantly. Um, But there was a moment for me where I just, I kind of just realized that I'm never, I personally just need to be happy and the way to do that is to be myself. But that specific moment kind of happened when I actually just got into USC. That was like the moment for me that just kind of triggered that. Was there a moment for you that kind of just decided, that kind of helped you just be like, you know what? I need to be myself to be happy. I need to be myself in order to to succeed and be driven and go on the path that I want to be on.
2: Absolutely, I feel like my moment came in my junior year where it was just to stop caring what others thought about me because that was such an impactful moment and embracement of my uniqueness as a strength rather than a weakness, as I mentioned prior. But that moment, and it was a moment where was just all these things leading up to this pivotal aspect and in a decision that was made in a second that changed my life. And I do feel like that everybody has their moment and you just have to work towards getting that moment. You don't know when it's going to come, but it will come. And it is something that will change your life because it's just that embracement of, you know what? I want to be happy. What is it going to take to be happy? What do I have to change? And what do I have to Stop doing to be happy. And if you decide to stop repressing yourself to be happy and you made that change, that's what had to be done. And I feel the same way where I had to stop caring what other people thought about me. And the truth of it is, a lot of people don't think about you when they pass by you on the street. And it was a lot of it was just in my head. So, really, to break down that barrier in your head is one of the biggest things you really need to overcome. But as soon as you do that, it opens yeah. up a lot more doors.
0: Definitely. Um, I guess now I do definitely wanna give us some time to jump in to talk about your business because that is a big part of kind of what we're doing on this podcast. So um I guess that journey that we talked about, that mental health journey, but also just that journey of finding yourself, did that go into helping you create spoiled threads or was that a journey you did had while you were creating spoiled threads?
2: It was definitely a journey I had while I was creating it. It was very Because Threads was very much so the vessel of how I found myself. Because it put me in a position where I could not so much hide behind it, but put a face and put a sense of identity to what I was doing, where I could now broadcast my emotion and my feelings out into the world in terms of who I was. And at my core, I'm incredibly authentic and I'm incredibly out there and i'll send it for the masses at every instance anybody that knows me will know that i will call out things that are are being done incorrectly calling out things that aren't being done properly especially with this semester with the whole pandemic and mental health and professors not being aware of this pressure they were putting on students i really served and helped a lot of charges to show that professors that hey your rules that were previously upheld within these prior semesters aren't gonna work in this semester and really wasn't fearing the pushback I would receive in, in return for actually getting the job done was something that really drove me to get out there. But it was also just being this authentic version of myself that wasn't afraid of what other people thought was something that was incredibly defining because it did push me to really get out there and sell and really get out there and build a community because I, if I just stayed at put, I wouldn't have gotten far at all. I wouldn't have been able to make a difference. But by continuously having to be put in a position where I had to push myself and get out there, not only for the survival of my brand, but also for the survival of myself, mm-hmm. really made a difference. And I've learned a ton and been able to impact uh, a lot of students' lives as well through this brand. And that's just incredibly humbling to me. To notice that I made such a difference because I was able to overcome my struggles, but also that this vessel went beyond myself and that actually helped other people overcome their struggles, and especially the acceptance that they felt at USC.
1: Um, could you talk a little bit more about uh, how you started Spoil Threads? And like, um, like a question I had specifically was more about um how you came up with the idea of uh, developing a clothing brand to promote your message?
2: Sure. So Spoiled Threads started with a denim jacket that I spray painted University of Spoiled Children" on the back of it. And for me, it was it really embraced the kind of the ruggedness of the punk scene, as well as the metal scene with its grunginess, as well as its anti-authority aspect in terms of taking something and just throwing it in your face that at this point you could no longer deny it. Where USC has always had this notion of it, that it's the universe to spoil children, and for a large part it was, and it still is perceived to be so mm-hmm. from an outsider view. And that's something we're really embracing that, especially while we we're at USC, especially during the first few years where it was still very rampant, was something that a lot of people hadn't seen before. Nobody had actually seen it before on. A jacket it had always just been put into words but nobody had ever seen it on a piece of clothing nobody had ever seen it in front of them so by being able to really put it in front of them i think that made a huge difference that now it had manifested beyond just a thought and it was in front of them where they could no longer deny it and i think clothing has always for me been a vessel of self-expression where self-expression is incredibly unique and is defined by the person that wears it and whatever emphasis they want to express, but it's also something that is unique to each person where for me, it was my vessel of self-expression, but it was also a vessel that I felt most comfortable in pursuing and the ease of actually manufacturing a product in it, in the realm of apparel. So that was a few key factors that led it to be apparel first, but it was also incredibly accessible to the masses where t-shirts jackets it's very easy to make and it's very easy to get out there in a short amount of time so those were very uh essential things that really led to that decision
1: yeah yeah i definitely feel that like when i was a freshman like i remember all the merchandise that were student made were like stuff like baby yoda stickers or all this other very much like money making stuff Mm -hmm. um but yeah your brand is like so unique in the sense that like it's actually um, promoting a message that's like more opinion based I guess and like mm-hmm. and actually like yeah meaning behind it
2: um, yeah and then oh, continuing off so, of that it was uh, the meaning behind it is always empowering those who go against the grain because that's where it started from and it started as, as going back to this, where it started from it started off with a jacket but it was geared towards a message of I deserve to be here just as much as anybody else does because without that it was just this culmination of feeling like I didn't belong because I was continuously felt like I was being looked down upon for how I looked and not coming from these rich families and this preimposed background that students are expected to have going to USC. So that was a huge push to how the brand was created from that, but really just emphasizing that it did take the subcultures of the universe and it was going beyond what the university would ever provide because the university provides a brand image it doesn't provide a form of self-expression so that was the pillar of where sport threads was developed from
1: right yeah um i was also kind of wondering like um in some like subcultures like skateboarding like i know that there's like this kind of attitude towards like they don't like it when um other like people who don't skateboard for example like like to wear their brands or apparel stuff like that and i know that um even though your uh your brand isn't like necessarily geared towards specifically um like people who are in the punk scene or um people who like um necessarily like, agree with your message or like are aware of your message would you ever like feel any type of way towards people who like buy your product but then at the same time they don't really relate to your message or maybe they don't care enough to like be aware of it
2: I wouldn't feel anything towards that. And I don't feel anything towards that uh, just because it's defined in such a way that it's you buy into it for a few reasons because you either like it enough to wear it, which supports the brand, but also supports the underlying mission of mental health through donations, or they like it enough where they align themselves with it or the image that's posted upon it, whether it be the University of Spoiled Children with its grunginess and Grunge aesthetic, which is incredibly popular, or whether it be the scandal pieces where it is at face value, a very sarcastic look at USC because of all the scandals and corruption we had. So it's very much so not designed to set up barriers between people or just to provide a message in front of their face that this is who USC is. We're not just this perfect child that everybody expects us to be. And we're not just this tailgate scene that's all too crowded and doesn't really have any impactful message with it. So there really is no sectioning. And there isn't any sectioning when somebody wears it. And there is no defined, oh, you have to be part of this subculture to wear this piece. If you want to wear anything spoiled threads, you can without any barrier to entry because it's designed to break down those barriers that people have built up where you don't need to fit into a subculture because you are the subculture by choosing to deflect from USC and take up this piece. You already decided, you already decided to fit the brand identity.
0: Yeah. I think that has to, that's a big part of why I think your brand has been so successful is that you're able to attract a variety of different people, even though you have a, obviously you have your segment of, People that you're targeting, like students in general, you're able to target mm-hmm. so many different types of students, and I'm sure there's a whole process behind that, especially within the design aspect of it. Could you talk about your design process and how what what you what goes into coming up with the ideas behind a line and the launch as well?
2: Sure. So, what really goes into the design is focusing on the emotions you want to express during that, especially with the grunge, that was really focusing on this sense of counterculture as well as embracement of USC's identity. And that's always been a pillar within every collection is this embracement to the subcultures where we always focus in on things that are very relevant and very close to big events that happen around the collegiate scenes. A big example of this is with All of the scandals USC had. That was something where we put out a few lines on university scandals and corruption, uh, the infamous scandal piece we have. uh, But it's also just at its core focusing in on the emotions we want a customer to feel when they see that. And a lot of it is this shock value, but also appreciation and humor towards a piece where we want them to feel an emotion. And that's at the very core. Of any piece we produce is with upcoming collections being focused on this nostalgia, especially with everybody being away from USC, that's geared a lot of opportunity towards this market. And by the time this is out, we'll already have that collection out as well. And that's going to be focusing on this nostalgia aspect, because we're not going to be going back to USC in the near future. And as tough as it is to hear, there's such a longing for USC that really needs to be emphasized that while we're still not at usc physically we're still usc connected and that's not going to come from the bookstore i can guarantee you that because they're still pushing their brand image but this is going to be a chance for us to create a connection between students that are online and really still emphasize that we still are connected and that the subcultures still exist even in this online aspect and that's really going to be focusing on this nostalgia aspect of being connected in this online presence, but also still remembering USC and its iconic aspects. So it really goes back to having an emotion that's expressed across and really having people feel that and resonate with that. That's a huge thing that goes into every piece.
1: It's really nice to hear that there's so much thought that goes through um, each design process. Um, do you personally, like, um, are you personally a part of that design team or do you find other people to help you with it?
2: I'm the sole uh, worker at Spoiled Threads and I always have been throughout the years. We've been able to take on a pretty wide range of interns, though, and that's been huge with every stage of the process that Spoiled Threads has gone through. Uh, the very start, it started off with me in my dorm room doing it uh, and really from its day of creation, I was able to pull in my, one of my great roommates and best friends to this day on this procedure, and we've been able to really champion it in terms of just having him as a brand ambassador and really sharing it around with friends, and even at times aiding with the design process, uh, and especially with progressing through the years and taking on more interns, in at least one within all of my years I've had at USC and just propagating it further, though I definitely have the, I definitely have had the most impact within the brand direction and the authority of where the brand has gone, as well as growth. So this most recent semester and summer, I took on three interns, four interns that made substantial developments and progress in really adapting to this COVID scene. And I feel like without the interns that have been able to be so impactful. I don't think Spoltz would have gone to where it has been today.
0: Especially with, I think, one thing to attribute the success to, and I'm sure, um, I mean, I I know that this was you doing all of this work to create this brand image. Um, a lot that goes into creating a brand image is marketing. Um, and We talked about your marketing strategy, and a lot of it starting out from the beginning was just kind of getting Just kind of going into the marketplace, I guess, or going into just to be around students and just promoting your product to them freely, doing it yourself. Could you talk about Mm -hmm. that marketing strategy and the evolution of it to where it is right now?
2: Sure. So, as I mentioned prior, I started off at USC as a biomedical engineer with pretty much no business experience on a consumer facing side with product development. Uh, Well, I had had a prior entrepreneurship venture it was focused more so within software side. So this was completely new to focus in on something that was more so consumer focused. So for me, it was just getting the product developed and honestly learning it as I went along because I didn't have any business courses at the time, which really taught me how to do product market fit or how to correctly market things. It was really just trial by fire. And For me, it was just wearing it around and people asking, hey, where'd you get that? What size are you? And just pulling it out of my bag and just doing transactions right there on the street. That was a big thing of where we we actually started off from. And as we progressed on further, especially with game day coming around, that was a big aspect of marketing where we really wanted to create something that was experience-oriented so for the fall twenty nineteen 2019 uh, football season, we created uh, a whole band tour based around football season. So we created a Legion of Troy stadium tour. That's what we called it, where it was designed like a band tee tour shirt, but yeah. it had all the football dates on it. And we made that our experiential thing where we would pull up to all the game days with this really ragtag punk, Merchandise booth where we'd have the two massive grates on the sides with clothing hanging off of those, and we would really make an experience where you felt like you were at a concert, and this was one of the merch vendors mm-hmm. at the concert, and that was something that we really leaned into that, especially with pop-ups being such an amazing way to get such a wide variety of audiences on it, uh, beyond just the digital presence, because the digital presence is one of the hardest things to really navigate even more so with COVID, but within person, it was really fun and experimental, experimental to really figure out what worked, what didn't work, and how to really tailor each call out to the audience as they pass through, because it's just such quick, rapid successions and you've got maybe five seconds to make an impression on them. So it's just tailoring down the pitch each time you went through it to see what dropped people away, what drew people in and how to really hone that in. So.
1: Yeah, I feel like sometimes that's the best way to learn. To be honest, like there's only so much you can learn in the classroom, anyways, and like Mm -hmm. you really have to try it out to really see what works and what doesn't. A hundred
2: percent. I think the best way to learn is just to get out there and do it because, as you mentioned, that's the only way you're going to actually learn. Is you just have to get out and do it.
1: Yeah, and um, I guess speaking of entrepreneurship, like, um, going back in time, like, what would you have done differently, maybe, like, to, uh, learn. I'm not sure if learn better is the best way to say it, but just like maybe do better. And like, how would you suggest someone who would want to pursue these kinds of entrepreneurial pursuits? Um, what would you suggest them to do?
2: Looking back on it, I would definitely have put a lot more emphasis on the digital marketing scene. That was something that should have been done from the start, but it was just something that I never truly understood. And especially with a fully COVID time, that's something that's even more apparent now where digital, I mean, in-person presence was 90% of our revenue because we could easily roll up on a Thursday to
0: a Trusdale
2: and make a $1,000 just without any prior marketing. So that was something that was so impactful by just being there on a personal presence that doesn't translate over to a digital scene. And I really would have loved to have learned how to do that more so in a digital presence and really have that cultivation of a community that is reflected on the digital side because we have it on the in-person side but just that digital side is so tough to navigate and really manufacture though really in terms of what i would suggest any entrepreneur to do is just go out and do it because you're not going to learn in the classroom you can learn the basic aspects of a business model canvas and how to really engage with customers, but you're never going to learn what actually works until you get out there and learn what works but doesn't work, how to pivot, how to pitch, enter yourself into any competition you can and just get out there and do that because that's how you gain exposure that's how you gain direct insight audience and direct insights from people and audiences to figure out what's currently not working with the company, what can be changed and how to really enact on those changes and I feel like That's significantly harder within COVID, though it's still possible. It's just about having that defined value proposition and there being a market need for it. That's another thing I'd really recommend is just doing prior market research to make sure that there is a substantial market for your product and that there's enough of a niche around it too, that it will be sustainable. Right.
1: And I guess, um, like, in terms of market research, like, how did you come to find that like, there was a, a student demand for your t- kind of product?
2: It really happened by chance. As mentioned, the, the company started from my own struggles and I just did it in terms of as my final, like I deserve to be here. I never would have expected it to go beyond what it did. But as it grew and as we got sales, that's when it slowly became a reality in terms of okay, where else can this go? And it really came down to looking at other market research in terms of other competing brands within the scene. What were they doing for success? How could we differentiate ourselves from those other scenes? And the other competitors within the market are purely just game day scenes, which is pretty obvious in how Spoiled Threads differs itself from them as we offer something for both genders as well as really focusing in on the everyday piece rather than the tailgate piece and really focusing on providing a actionable value proposition, which is really being able to empower those who don't follow the norm, which as you've seen from the bookstores is very much so selling a brand image rather than expression of your personal identity. So that was really apparent within the first year of creation that we were onto something and also that we had a defined identity to who we were and to really make actionable, uh, decisions and actions upon that.
0: Yeah. And I, one thing I do want to touch on too, um, as you keep mentioning the whole idea behind this brand is like defining your own path, um, supporting those who are willing to kind of step outside of the box. And you've kind of showed us that also, Um, That you've embodied this also within the business plan that you've kind of taken on to with that entrepreneurial spirit, as well as um, that marketing practice that you mentioned, that whole concert idea, that's kind of going outside of just regular practices and things like that. Um, And it's one thing too that we haven't talked about yet is also kind of the financial structure of the company that you are um that you have and that's like also a main reason that we have you on this podcast too is that you are um donating a lot of the money that you're gaining from this business um to help with mental health could you talk about that a little bit
2: yeah of course so up to this point in time we've been donating 10% of all proceeds to the Jed Foundation within Los Angeles combating teenage mental health and going forwards I made the decision within COVID to, from this point on, to donate 100% of all proceeds moving forward to the Jed Foundation, because it dawned on me that even my mental health has really slipped during this time. And it's something that I never would have thought could relapse because this is an unexpected time for anybody. Nobody could have predicted this, especially with COVID being such a destructive force to so many brands like myself. And just... And people losing everything and that just it, it, it pains me really hard it's just something that's been through that and losing everything and my decision beyond that was to use my platform in any way i can to make an impact and my best way i saw that was just really taking every step i could and doing everything i could to help out those in the situations. and that's really what led to the decision to not do fifty percent, but do hundred percent to really drive the point home that I'm going to be doing everything I can to make sure that people in the situation are given a benefit and they're not just subjugated during this time. Because if we're struggling, I can only imagine what people with that are experiencing homelessness and also just within the team mentality of this, with the whole pandemic weighing down on it, it's just it's it's just heart disheartening because like. From personal experience, I don't know how I don't know if I'd be able to do it again. Let's just put it that way, because it is such an such a hard, hard thing that you have to go through of losing everything, losing your support network, and not having that. Really digging yourself up, but in a time where you can't even see people and not even be able to get that handout you need. That's just even more destructive in terms of just being able to deal with that all. With this perfect storm, it's just it just made me want to do anything I can to help out during this time, and that's ultimately what led to the decision of that.
0: Um, honestly, that's so amazing that you're able to kind of use your experience to your benefit, as we said before, and now you're actually able to do it, able to give back, or even to help people financially now with this business that you built. That is. Also based on mental health. So what you're doing is incredible, and yeah, that's all I can say to what you are doing and ke- just keeping it up. And I guess kind of going from there. Where do you see Spoiled Threads moving after you graduate? What do you? What's your vision for it? And yeah,
2: my vision for Spoiled Threads has definitely been something where it. It started off as some just a pipeline idea, and to where it's grown has been incredible. From features and huge publications from USC Marshall, for LA, Shopify, and just even being positive revenue generation is just incredible. To really being able to take on such an idea and make something of it, and where I want to see it go is right now. It we've got our collections out and they will go until they're sold out. And then beyond that, it will provide, it will either stay in a idealization phase or it will go on hold indefinitely. But it is, and it has been developed to give back to the community at USC and beyond within the mental health scene. And that's something else that I wanted to serve as, whether it does go on hold indefinitely or does keep producing collections beyond USC it it serves as an icon and it serves as a boundary pusher for something that nobody thought was possible. Because if it becomes anything, I want it to be a sign that you can go beyond the norm. Because before Spool there wasn't a company that really pushed beyond this because of the fear of whether it be trademarks or whether it be legalities. And that's something that Spool Threads has become really adept at, is learning how to subvert these legalities and subvert these trademarks and even pick up trademarks of our own like university spoiled children. That's a trademark we own and really take up leverage against these things. And that's just something where it's just like learning how to push these boundaries that people wouldn't have thought of prior. And just having that be instilled within people to know that you can always push the boundaries and challenge the norm. And that's something where I feel like is so Underrepresented and so underutilized in this current time, where we just accept things as a fact and we don't really challenge them anymore. And that's something that I want people to really lean into with whatever happens with Spoiled threads is that you can always push the norm, whether it be within apparel, whether it be within a new industry. That's how innovation is done. You have to keep challenging the norm and keep pushing towards that.
1: Personally, I'm like really grateful and like happy to see like your brand. I'm um, during my time at USC like. It's really amazing to see a brand like really push the boundaries and ask questions that no one else would. Um, thank you so much for sharing everything that you have shared with us today. I really appreciate everything. Um, do you have any lasting words or any resources you might want to suggest?
2: I would say the lasting words would really be as mentioned a bit earlier is finding that thing you love about yourself that will always give you that adrenaline shot and whatever it may be, really embrace it and have it be your guiding light through these dark times, because that is one of the biggest things which I could recommend to anybody. And it sounds very trivial, but it really does help to find that moment of clarity that will change your life is just finding that thing you can just always grasp on and hold on to it and chase with it to the end of the earth, because that's something that changed my life and changed the lives of so many others is just finding that thing that you you love and will always be a source of power to you. As for resources, I would say the Honesty Hour podcast is incredible resource, especially with the rest of the podcasts they put out. That is gonna be a huge thing, which is incredible to see that there's such an amazing community at USC that's focused on the mental health of others and really combining that with it within entrepreneurship is a huge I would recommend Of course, the Jed Foundation as well and the incredible work they do, as that's where we put all of our donations towards because it's just such an amazing organization. Uh, Beyond that, I would recommend just really getting involved with the entrepreneurship scene as well, because that's such an incredible outlet for so many people that often goes underutilized because people feel like they aren't good enough or they don't have a great enough idea. It's just go there and see what you can do. Whether you're the co-founder for something or whether you're the managing director for a new product, it's just an incredible opportunity that will provide you so much more knowledgeable skills and so much more life skills than any major at USC will.
0: Well, thank you so much for being here today. It was really good um, and great to meet you and hear about your background. Hopefully one day we will be able to meet you in person um, just when this pandemic is over. Um, For everyone who's listening, if you're interested in buying any merchandise from Spoiled Threads, you can go to their website, spoilthreads.com or you can follow them on Instagram um, at Spoiled Threads. Um, Again, thank you Winter for being here um, and we look forward to hopefully connecting with you again sometime soon and kind of seeing where you are and where you go in the future.
2: Thank you both so much. And thank you again for this incredible opportunity. I look forward to connecting with you both as well, especially when COVID ends.
0: Yeah. Oh, well, have a good rest of your night and um, Merry Christmas.
2: Merry and Christmas happy holidays. to you as well and happy holidays. It's not a, game, it's a